Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show on a different day, because, you know, that's the beauty of no longer being on broadcast. I can choose the day of the week, although normally we are live every Tuesday from 11 to noon Eastern, and that's when we typically do the show, but sometimes we have a very special guest, and for whatever reasons, we can't make it work on a Tuesday, so I get to do it whenever I want, because it's my show. It's my show for you, but it's my show, so I get to do things when they work out the best for everybody involved. And today, I am so pleased to be able to bring a dear, gosh, dear, dear friend of mine, a woman in tech, but beyond that, one of the key people in tech that has really started to transform the way that people think about their ideal partner, their ideal customer, and how they gather that data. She has been a mentor of mine for years. I've admired her forever with everything that she has done to grow her own business, transform her own business, while changing the way people think about business. So please welcome to the show my dear friend and the CEO and founder of Sazmax, Dina Moskowitz. Yay! Laura. Hey, Laura, how are you? Good. It's so good to have you here. I know it's been a crazy week this week for you, for me, for everybody pretty much in the world. <laughs> yes, yes. But I am grateful to be here and it's so thankful for your friendship and for your support and for your mentorship. I think it's been a, a mutual relationship. I, I, I love your show. I love what you stand for. I love having you work with our team when we need you to. And, uh, you know, I'm super grateful to be here. Well, thank you. That means so much to me. You know, we met at an event right after my book launched because of Clint Gatewood, who's on the team. At the time, back then, he was not working with you. And I remember Clint goes, you must meet Dina. How do you not know Dina? And this is like 10 years ago or something like that. And I'm like, I don't know. And he, he brings me over, and that was it. You and I became instant friends. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I remember so much about that moment we met was how great the questions were you asked, which I don't always see in business, especially when you're just meeting somebody for the first time and there's lots of other things going on. And then throughout your career, you are willing to re-examine the foundation or the core ideas behind your business. That's not something that a lot of founders and CEOs are willing to look at. They, they go on a path and they're like, well, this is the product, this is the thing that I'm gonna do, and I'm just gonna keep doing that. But you look at data and you say, well, you know what? I thought that's what our customers wanted or that's what the, the um, the world needed in this particular case, technology channel, meaning vendors and partners who resell things. What is it do you think that enables you, Dina, to be able to say, whoa, stop, wait, let's look. Let's analyze this. Yeah, I think 
it's it's a combination of things. Part of it's my nature, but other part is probably this imposter syndrome thing where I don't want to do the wrong thing and I don't want to do things without having enough facts to be able to walk the walk and you know talk the talk at the same time. So you know I don't come at things with a um, you know I I try to lead by example as opposed to lead with. I don't have a born charisma, but for me, it's more about how do I navigate the world and this this business I want to build by making sure that we're we're productizing the right way and that we're making sure that others' input, which maybe is more expert than I have myself, are incorporated. Well, that's interesting because you know that I consult for a number of companies and all of my listeners, I hear this stuff all the time. I've never heard people use imposter syndrome quite the way you just use that. And from my perspective, I would say that's almost the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Because you're so secure in who you are and what you're trying to do that you're willing to be out there and reverse course perhaps if need be. Yeah. So I, I just find that interesting because the last yeah. thing I would ever think about would be you. How you'd interpret it that way, but yeah, that's how that's how I envision it. Is you know okay. you, you want to make sure that everything you're doing is is fully right and correct, maybe to a, to a flaw, but where if you don't get it right, you know you want to keep going and get it correct. I guess probably one of the differences is that I don't put a I don't put as strong of a timeline on my need gotcha. to get there, right? It's um, maybe more of a, I studied Mandarin Chinese and a lot of East Asian studies. And I think there's a longer term perspective to life and business that maybe I take on. And so there's time to continually tweak and reinvent and, and improve. And so that's just part of my fiber, I guess. I, and, I, and I love that about you. And I wanna explore that a little bit because I never, thought about, you know, your Mandarin studies and some of those other stuff things, but that long-term view is, I feel like it's something very different than what a lot of entrepreneurs are expecting since the world of Shark Tank, right? Wow. They, the TV show Shark Tank, they're like, I have an idea and it's just going to explode. It's, I'm going to get on Shark Tank and my product, my service, whatever it is, is going to go from making $10 to making $10 million, right? And it's that rare case that they talk about in the Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. Can you give my my listeners perhaps some advice on, on timelines and the idea of longer term thinking? Because we've become a world of such immediacy. And I had a guest on a few weeks ago, Joe Serio. His latest book was... Um, Vodka Hookers and the Russian Mafia, and he spent a lot of time in Russia helping analyze the Russian Mafia in the 80s and the 90s and stuff. And he's like, he came to America and he couldn't handle our grocery stores because there were so many options. And right now with COVID, I mean, you're in California, you see the container ships sitting off the coast, uh -huh. right? All of that insanity. Yeah. We live in a world of immediate gratification, but that's not always what happens in business. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't. And, and it takes a lot more than an idea to make a company successful, especially if you're building one 
to, you know, for the long haul. And it takes, you know, we all, we know it's, you know, it's product, but people and processes as well. And, and patience, the other P is patience. <laughs> so you may think you have the best idea in the world, but you can't always make that product up front. You have to start somewhere and it's, it's like that in, in the world of software and technology, it's called using like lean startup methods and building out uh, an MVP, which is a minimum viable product. And then from there you learn from the users and the customers, and then you tweak and you add so that you're perfecting what you're doing over time. And in some cases, maybe if it's a B2C product, you can get that feedback and respond immediately. But in other situations, when you're doing something that's, you know, maybe building and, and bringing something new, that's a, a way of doing business. Like in our case of creating a, uh, basically a, a partner discovery and insights engine about partnerships. You need time to get feedback from your customers and from the users and from the industry. And you also have to be adjusting as the industry is adjusting to new technology. So it's about the biggest one, I would say it's about patience and sustainability and figuring out ways to, um, you know, keep, keep excited about it as you're iterating. I like that. Keep excited about it while you're iterating. So how have you maintained being excited? I mean, I know, but my listeners don't. And sometimes I wonder because it, being a, a woman founder in tech can be one of the most exhilarating and one of the most frustrating mm -hmm. things ever. So how do you maintain that excitement for yourself and for your company while all of that's going on? So it's about staying in front of the customers, even as you know CEO, because then you're hearing what they like and what they don't like. And when you hear that you're actually hitting the nail on the head, that's exciting. It's like if you're on a golf course and you get a really good shot, it keeps you going. Even if you never get a good shot for another 50 strokes, you remember that good, good shot, right? So yeah. as long as you are putting yourself in the place where you know that what you're doing is solving needs that customers want, um, that's how you keep it going. And then as you talk to more and more customers and you're solving, you know, you hear even further, you know, and you, you, you see the momentum, then it's like, you can, you can take that back to the team and you can continue to iterate and build and continue to grow. And, uh, that, that energy and the excitement of what you're bringing, what you're building, bringing value, um, and, and therefore in the future profits, right? And, and uh, revenue and all of those things, um, you bring that to the team and the team gets energized. So that's all part of the, part of the formula. And then uh, you're yourself, right? With great people. Um, yeah. When I was in my twenties, I had a, I had a lunch with a woman who was the CEO of a PR agency in San Diego. She was a very well-known, very well-respected and um, her, you know, her advice to me was that when you're building your own businesses, make sure to only surround yourself with people that are going to bring you up and that you like working with and never settle for less. If there's bad energy in the mix, you have to cut that cord immediately. And it's, it's not worth it. Life is too short. So in that regard, surrounding myself with people that I admire, that know more than me, that I respect and that I have a good time with is another great piece of that formula and you have a team all around the world in all sorts of time zones i mean yeah. i can't even imagine how you keep all of those people 
who have very different backgrounds excited and manage to keep your sanity and get some sleep <laughs> at the same time. I mean, most people have enough trouble managing themselves mm-hmm. when it comes to running a business. And here you are managing teams all over the world. How do you do that? Well, it's you have a, a core team and then, you know, obviously there's a pyramid structure. And so the, you know, certain developers will get together without me at 9 p.m. at night. I don't need to be there. I trust that they know more than me to do what they're doing. And, um, you know, just like in, in most companies, you, you have to cherry pick. You do want to make sure that you show up. Um, that's another great piece of advice for entrepreneurs that my grandfather always said, which is there's no such thing as absentee management. So making sure you know the people that you're working with, whether they're at the bottom or at the top, is really important. And having them know that you are caring about them beyond just the job that they're doing, which is which is a hard thing to do as a CEO is to stay on top of that all. But it's part of you know, it's something I think is pretty important unless you get to, you know, thousands of employees. How, how can you do that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I look at I look at what you just said. I, I hear what you just said and, and your grandfather's wisdom, which is always so much fun to hear uh-huh. wisdom passed down from generation to generation. I mean, my dad said to me when I was still in high school, he said, if you're going to get ahead in business, you need to learn how to play golf talk sports and drink scotch and he <laughs> yeah. said because more business deals are closed outside of the office than anywhere else and and i i was like well why scotch because of course in high school i really wasn't drinking and if i had thought of anything it was like rum and hawaiian punch because that's uh-huh. that's like the gateway right with the alcohol and he said because scotch number one every man will be totally impressed that a woman is drinking scotch this is back in the early 80s you know and he said, and you can sip scotch while they're all pounding away their beers and all their other things. So you'll be totally sober while everybody else is <laughs> drunk. So really great wisdom coming from different generations. Nowadays, some women may be upset that my father ever said that. But it's like, okay, well, you just learn to work with what you have at the time. Mm-hmm. Has there been something since when you started your business career, okay, not just SASMAX mm-hmm. or Partner Optimizer by SASMAX, that you've had to let go because you've realized that it really doesn't work, say, for you and your style or because those ideas or tenants or structures of business really don't need to continue? Um, when you say something to let go, like what, what do you mean? Like a principle or a um, yeah. piece of advice or whatever? Principle, a piece of advice you were ever given, uh, a way of doing business, something that you realized, well, you started out doing that and then said, yeah, that doesn't really work for me or for my company. And there may not be, Dina. I haven't thought about it that way. There always are. I think that I'm continually growing and trying to educate myself. I think when I got started, I wasn't concerned about leadership. I just went for it. Then I realized as we were growing that leadership was an important part about how, you know, how I come across in order to bring teams forward. And so I started to focus on that and process and, and, um, 
project management, things that you and I have talked about extensively in the past, became more elevated because when you're starting and you're fairly young in businesses, you just think it just it just all comes together and happens. But a lot of time and investment go into building the processes to create the um, you know the efficiencies and to enable people to work together and get things done. And um, so it's it's been what what I think has been great is that as my career has has moved forward, so has technology. So being in the SaaS sector and promoting SaaS and and bringing SaaS to channel partnerships and vice versa, um, at the same time, all of these products have been evolving that make the the way of doing business um, and and the use of business and project management so much easier and better and and frictionless. And you said the word SaaS, so I'm just going to educate oh, some of my listeners who may not know it, um, or, or you can as well, explain what SaaS is. The SaaS is spelled S-A-A-S, and it stands for Software as a Service. So it's software that we consume online by going and logging in. So if you use QuickBooks Online or a customer management software or even online banking, whatever it may be, uh, even a dating app is online software, right? So it's just the premise of now software is available through online means where you're not storing it on your on your computer. And I remember when I first started out, you got everything on disks, everything went in your computer, and you may have a server in your office and everybody connected into that. And then the internet took hold and then things started going offline. And that's when I think cybersecurity really became as big a concern as, as it is now. It wasn't as big a concern back then because there was no access to the outside world. It was all just inside your office. And let's let's take a little shift from where our conversation was going since you mentioned SaaS and the change to business and, and how you have to do things. One of the big things that SASMAX does, it, from where it originally started out focusing on people at companies like mine that were in the trenches that went to customers, sold them products, sold them services, and sold them software, to now you're working with those vendors that create those software, that services, the software as a service, those cloud applications, helping them find their perfect partners inside the channel, as we call it, the channel being the vendor and the reseller who then deals with their clients. Mm -hmm. When you started creating that product, there was this idea of data can make a massive difference. Mm -hmm. in how we look at it. I mean, anybody who watches Shark Tank or watches any of the shows around the world on building business, one of the big things they talk about is customer acquisition costs. They talk about, you know, who are you targeting? How are you finding those customers? And the product partner optimizer, I've always loved since day one when we were all sitting in a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale and you were talking <laughs> to me about this data stuff. What is it about finding your ideal partners slash clients with data versus the old way of sitting down with just a piece of paper and saying, my partner hangs out here, my partner 
um, reads these books, they may shop in these stores, they have this much income. How is it different from writing that down to the end result? I mean, why is it so important? Because I think this is revolutionary. So, Honestly. yeah, so I, I guess I would put it back to like, there, there's a few areas or a few good analogies, right? And if you've seen the money, the movie called Moneyball, right, where they use data to select the right players for the team, um, they, they, they strictly, they remove that player as a person and they just basically turned it into a widget in order to say, this is what that player's stats were in order to, and, and this is how that player played. And this is how it will make our team better. Um, they were able to do that. And think about, you know, if you're in online dating, right? Imagine if you type in all your favorite things about what you think your ideal mate is, and then it gives you back someone completely different, right? Imagine what that, how, how, how much that would suck if all this, you know, you spend all this time putting in what you think and then you get back something totally different. You go to meet them and everyone over and over again is the wrong one. And think of all the time you would waste dating, but also hoping and ex expecting for it to be the right, you know, the right one. And so in the same, in, in channel partnerships, right? If you have the wrong partners and you start off with the wrong partners, you're going to waste a lot of time. You're going to waste a lot of money. You're going to potentially even lose really good people on your team because you're having them chase after the wrong types of partners. So that's really what we did is said, how do we take qualitative um, characteristics and, and quantify them so that we can turn it into a, a really powerful data-driven experience so that at the very beginning of recruiting a partner, you're starting out with more of the right ones. Yeah, I just love that because yeah, I've had several companies and in every iteration, whether I worked corporate or whether I had my own business, I always hated it when you pick up the phone, the phone rings, you pick it up. This is way before caller ID and even now with caller ID, right? You just answer the phone because it might be a client or somebody and they start pitching you. And mm -hmm. for this show, I get pitches regularly. I mean, from my website, in email, however, I just get tons of pitches and I read them and I'm just in shock, Dina, at they obviously know nothing about me. They know nothing about my show. They know nothing about my company. They know nothing about my clients, yet they are, in their words, the perfect fit. And I should not consider anybody else. I should transfer all of my business over to them. And we are not talking about, you know, spammers or, or whatever that might be trying to do harm. We're just talking about serious companies that think they are the bee's knees and I should not consider anybody else shifting that mindset from both ends of it is is so different right that that phone call that comes in based okay. on using partner optimizers data that you just talked about the, the analytics part with the ai and all that i would imagine that that massively changes the hi laura seward how may i help you and the other end of the phone is somebody, how does that change that conversation from that get-go? Yeah, well, 
for our customers that are successful in leveraging it, it's it's game changing. It's it's really improving conversations. You know, it's it's a, it's again, it's like hitting a hole in one because you're actually getting the right person on the phone and you have things in common that are real and authentic. And so instead of having to have a salesy conversation or or people who are talking at you, um, they're, they're calling because they know already more about you and your company and they care because they realize that you are you could be a very important piece of their business and vice versa. So it, it, it changes the authenticity, it changes the quality, and it changes the ability to engage with you because you, you, you hear something in their talking, in their scripts, in their talk tracks, whatever it is, that opens it up for a better conversation. And um, you don't waste your time either. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, I'll never yeah. forget. Yeah, I'll never forget, especially now with COVID and so many of well, events are starting to reopen for every industry. But there was how do we get customers? How do we even know if our existing partners are the right partners? I I remember talking to I don't even remember who it was at this point. I was having a conversation with somebody in the middle of COVID and they said, our business is busier than it's ever been. And I said, well, what do you attribute that to? And he said, well, we got really clear on who we should be talking to. And because of being clear on who we were talking to, we refined our offerings so that it actually hit what they wanted. It wasn't just a partial hit. It was a bigger hit now and their numbers went through the roof and they expect it to continue going through the roof unlike some businesses that once the world reopens some of the business models may not hold true like mask manufacturers you know it may not continue down down the road but so you know this i had a really great conversation a week ago i was at a uh, cloud girls retreat and i was talking to one of another woman who's in uh, she she works with channel partner programs at a cybersecurity company, but on the side she was also doing a cosmetics business that she's launching, and she loves it and is passionate. And she was talking about it, and I and I said, you know, who is your ideal customer in that area? And she said, well, it's it's most you know women who need this kind of product. And I'm like, well, you know, both in here as well as in cybersecurity, it's so important to clearly define. Who is your ideal customer, right? Because only once you can define your ideal customer is it that you can do the messaging to them correctly and that you can spend, you know, put, put, put all your resources in the right place. Because if you try to be everything to everyone, you know, no one's going to get it. And I know that's an age old lesson, but sometimes as entrepreneurs and as new startups or as new, uh, you know, when you when you get into a new company and you're all excited, you forget how important it is to focus. And it's okay to not be everything to everyone. And by letting go of the everyone and just focusing on your ideal customer or your ideal partner, you're going to be way, way more successful with the ones that you care about that can actually drive you revenue. And yet it seems so hard for companies, Dina, to say, well, my product isn't for everyone. It's not for every 
in the case of SASMAX, it's not for every channel vendor. It's going to be for certain channel vendors that maybe do business this way or have this kind of product lines. For um, somebody selling pens, it may be that's probably a bad analogy because most people no, really can use pens, but about red pens, right? Red pens are more for teachers and for college professors, right? Who right. In, in the old day were, were um, using pen to mark things up. But yeah, there is, you know, differentiation and, and uh, honing in product marketing is critical to it. Uh, one of the things I could recommend for entrepreneurs is to put together what we call a customer playbook so that in your customer playbook, you start that definition of who your customer is. Where are they? Um, who are the purchasers and what do they look like and what, what stage are they in their careers or in their personal lives and you know, age range. And, and it's basically profiling who your ideal customer is. And by having that playbook that you can always go, get, go back and reference, you can share that with your stakeholders and make sure that everyone on your team as well as your outside advisors is putting your marketing together and your sales together and your and your prospecting all based upon the same roadmap. All right, you mentioned stakeholders and I know that you clarified that a little bit, but can you explain what stakeholders really mean to a typical business? Yeah, stakeholders are those people in your business who are typically responsible for um, you know, different parts of your business, whether it's putting, you know, design product, putting your marketing together, advising you on, you know, sales, everybody is a stakeholder in your company, whether it's the employees in your company, or it's the investors in your company, or it's your strategic advisors, or even uh, your, your customers are ultimately a stakeholder. And I think it is at, at Amazon, for example, in Amazon Web Services, they always leave space at the table for the customer because the customer is a stakeholder. So whenever you're having a meeting, if you're always thinking about, you know, where you're, where you're coming from, but also where that customer is, which is an important stakeholder, um, you will have better outcomes and everything you're doing will be aligned with the end, end goal. That makes so much sense because I, I remember when my mom was still alive and she her arthritis was getting really, really bad. But my mom loved to crochet and I never knew that ergonomic crochet hooks were available. And mom didn't either because everybody, you know, using the same crochet hooks she used from her childhood when she learned how to knit and crochet. And the rheumatologist said, well, why don't you get your mom some ergonomic crochet hooks <laughs> and I, I did some research and it was kind of hard to find and then all of a sudden I put some correct search terms in and they popped up and I was talking to the owners of the companies and they said they realized through talking to their stakeholders that they needed to focus on they could have just hit every crochet person but they refined their niche their customer base to those who had arthritis or were older and um, it made it easier for them to crochet and their business increased 80% uh -huh. with just that slight adjustment of actually looking at who was, as you said, refining their customers and what their needs were and then changing 
with their stakeholders the marketing terms and they immediately popped up once I put in arthritis crochet hooks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a really simple but amazing example. It really is. Yeah. Okay, so thinking through this idea of ideal partner and data driven. Now, not every industry has access to the tools that Partner Optimizer has created. For somebody that doesn't have access to it, mm -hmm. is it possible for, how do they go about doing some of this? It would probably be similar principles to the foundation of, of it where, um, you start with what is your ideal customer and knowing what that ideal customer is. And then, then you get to think about who are your ideal partners who reach and sell to those customers, right? Um, so you think about all the business attributes or all of maybe it's personal attributes, depending on, you know, what, you know, what your product or solution is so that you can then write it all down, but make sure you think through every qualification in order to match up that that partner is selling to the right customer or your ideal customer, because otherwise you're wasting time. That's, that's the key. So for example, let's say that I was partnering with a, um, a company that sold to the same customer that I wanted. Like, let's say I both, we both want, like my, my partner was selling to Pepsi and I wanted to sell to Pepsi. But if my partner is selling to the cybersecurity team, and I needed to reach the marketing team, it's not really a good fit because the marketing team doesn't know this partner. The marketing team won't trust this partner about a marketing solution. So you have to really refine and say, well, who are the partners who are actually marketing consultants or advisors who the marketing team at my end customer will know and trust? And how do you find them? That's why putting those attributes down and trying to really hone in and refine up front. Sometimes it's hard to do and it seems grueling, but it's not that. Um, if you have a partner or two that are great already, go look up online their website, uh, their website and look at what they talk about on their website and how they're talking to their customers. And once you see how that partner is looking at and talking to their customers, you'll get a good feel for how other partners should probably, you, you probably want partners who are doing the same thing. And so building your ideal partner profile can be much more simple by looking at and studying and researching and interviewing those partners that you have that you know are ideal and then finding more that look like that. Now, we're hoping to help more and more industries as we move forward. So hopefully, if there's additional use cases, come to me. Maybe we can help do it more quickly than you can do it on your own. But that's that was the premise that started this whole thing, is there's tons of data about partners that they're trying to put forward in how they market to customers. And you can find that all in MyNet. Yeah, I think that's a good clarification because the question sounded different in my head than when it came out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So I, we've talked quite a bit about how do you, you know, the questions you need to ask, what you need to write down about the partners. The big issue becomes for a lot of businesses, okay, I know what that looks like, mm -hmm. but I don't know who they are when they're looking for partners or looking for clients. Like, the beauty of partner optimizer in the tech industry with SaaS products and, and other products is 
you've got you've built up this massive data depository repository right so that when somebody takes an ideal customer profile an ideal partner profile you can then input that in and then the system goes out and crawls through and says here it is or they can give you their list of all of their existing partners with the profile that they've created and go through and say, well, you've got 10,000 partners or you've got a thousand partners, but you know what? There's only three mm-hmm. that fit your ideal. Yeah. So maybe you need to let go some that are not, or you need to redefine or refine whatever is going on. Yeah. Typically it's the opposite though, where they find thousands and the reality is there aren't thousands. You want to keep on hyper targeting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you keep so if you don't have the data driven method where you can that's get why it, we right? built partner optimize because there was no easy way otherwise except from <laughs> there isn't through the web or hiring other people perhaps in other countries to try to go sort through the web and um, they don't have the domain expertise that you do to be able to pinpoint and or collect as much data to make it as meaningful so. Unfortunately, and unfortunately that, you know, for us, we, we've been building this tool and it's taken a lot of time and, and uh, you know, investment in R&D and, and tech in order to create it. But otherwise, I, I you know, that's why we created it. We couldn't right. find a way for us to find those partners easily and scalably. Yeah. You know, I just I just love it because I get so frustrated. I can always tell when somebody's bought a list. Yeah. And somehow, personally or business-wise, my name is on the list. And, <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, where did they get that list from? And how out of date is it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But yet, that's the traditional way that a lot of businesses think they have to get new partners, new clients, is by buying lists. It, I mean, you revolutionized the way people think about partner relationships during that process for for your business for sasmax how did that blue ocean way of thinking change change anything in yourself when you realized that or didn't it i don't know i've never asked you that question but you know know, you want to um drink your own kool-aid right so as we realized that we needed to find these kinds of you know, create this tool that we were creating, it's helped us to very much refine who our ideal customer is and our ideal partner. And we do the same things and we try to leverage our engine to help us to be more successful as well. And we try to be focused. And, you know, when we get, we get a lot of um, inbound inquiries from from software companies around the world. And some of them, if they're not our ideal customer, we can't spend too much time and energy on them. Um, But we get a lot of that and we have to deflect or figure out ways to either send them to other resources, but, but to say no, because I can't have my team wasting time on the wrong, the wrong customers when I need them to be focused on the right customers. So it was, Basically, it hit, you know, it's kind of hit, hits you on the head. You know, if you don't you know, do as I do, as I say, not as I do, I have to do as I do, you know. And uh, so that's been leading to our success as well. And I can't tell you how as soon as we put that 
mantra in place, um, the customers we started talking to were more of the right fit. And the um, conversations got so much better. The, the sales process turned into a, you know, a light bulb for the customer and the, fric the friction reduced and, you know, we were off to the races. I love that. You also recently underwent, and I think this is just a really good lesson for my listeners, a rebranding of yeah. website, logos, colors, everything. What drove that change? And what was that experience like for you? Because I, I another friend, client of mine, was um, who I think I've mentioned to you before, Marcella Allison. She has this incredible mentoring platform out there and a community of women that are all there to just lift each other up. It used to be called Titanides, and it it's rebranded as Mentorist Collective now. Mm -hmm. And complete, I mean, from the word Titanides from the Greek to Mentorist Collective, still a little bit of a Greek thing in there, but a completely different rebranding, name change, look, feel. It's not an easy thing to do, but yet it can have such a massive impact. And I'd love to know your thoughts on that and share with my listeners that process that went through your mind. What were you asking yourself that you decided to do that? Well, a couple of things. We wanted to um, modernize and make sure that we communicated um, in iconography and colors and feeling the 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 process of of what we deliver which is finding that ideal partner and gaining data-driven insights and our our older brand was not effectively communicating that it was effectively communicating a more of a, a channel partner program in a relationship but that wasn't enough of what we do, which is really forward thinking and modernizing and bringing new technology. Um, and, and so we knew that we needed for our own stakeholders to be able to bring that look and feel forward. And then the, and then the other thing is that we had more, we, we now have a lot of stakeholders, whereas before we had a few. So when we had it originally built up and branded, it was based upon a much smaller community or with less stakeholders. And now that we've been more clearly defined, we were able to go through a process that involves customers, advisors, employees, um, industry people, and get their feedback. Even your feedback was invaluable at the time. And to be able to take everyone's input and, and add it to the formula created a much better outcome. Well, I have to say that your the rebranding that you did and the team that you had it made it easy to give feedback because so much of the the work had already been done and then it just becomes, hey, what do you think? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I know when I started doing my website several years ago and somebody was trying to create a logo for me, even when I had Guardian Angel Computer Services, they're like, can you describe to me what you want? And I'm redoing my book cover and it's the same thing. And I'm like, no, I can't. You know, I, I really I don't even know. I don't know how to give words to what I'm looking for. And it's evident so where that customer playbook is so important, because if you put that down and you have it there every every time you add a new marketing person or a new salesperson or a new outsourced designer or a logo person, you, it gives you that ability to share that and have everyone be on that same page. So because I was able to communicate a lot of those 
attributes that defined our ideal customer and also defined, well, who else is in our space, right? So what do some of the other adjacent products and solutions look like? What do the consulting firms and internal marketing look like? It allowed, it allowed and opened up my creative people to then yoga to um yeah. the lawnmower guys next door just decided oh. to come so forgive me i'm gonna mute while you finish while you keep talking yeah so when you have those creative people you can now give them the quantitative information they need so they can do the research that they care about and they came back because we were more specific in what our ideal customer is they were able to go look at what's going on in the industry what's going on outside the industry that might be comparable in a different you know but but doing things in another area and then came back with these really cool analyses and matrix and showed where your colors are a me too where your colors could stand out how these colors are part of the industry but yet if you add a gradient or if you add something different it makes it pop and so the creative talent is able to take your customer playbook that means your who's your ideal customer and who you're trying to reach and and everything about it and 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 create and it's amazing when you allow others to take back your feedback and, and give it back in, in new ways. As long as you're open to it, you can do great things. I absolutely love that. And we're getting really close to the end of, of our time together. So I want to offer two things. One, your last thought that you'd like to leave my listeners with and how people can reach out to you. And if they are in the tech world, they're in the channel and want to find out more about Partner Optimizer, how they can do that. Mm -hmm. Well, the last thought is to never just be satisfied with where you're at. Always look at how you could be doing things better and faster and more efficiently, and in a way that's going to make you happier and your, your team happier, right? So that's just in, in everything. Um, and then uh, you can reach out to me, of course, directly. Um, I'm you know, Dina Moskowitz, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And my name is on this, this thing right here, in case you can't spell it. And my email is Dina, D-I-N-A, at sasmax.com, which is S like Sam, A-A-S-M-A-X.com. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you about helping you build your partner program through starting by finding partners that are the right fit for you so that you can spend more time in the, in the right areas of, of, of growing your business. And that's for those in the tech channel versus yeah. just any industry. Cause if you can't at this point, I know you just mentioned that it's on a future thing is maybe helping other industries doing this as well. But, right. uh, and I encourage partners, right? If you're selling yeah. tech partners, then it can be any product, but primarily it's technology. Yeah. <laughs> Expand a little bit just until this guy goes around the corner. Is it a leaf blower guy? <laughs> yeah, I know. Now that's a product I would invite everybody to try to reinvent because the noise on that can't just be annoying for us as, you know, passers-by but the people who are using those leaf blowers have to be you know it's really bad for their ears so i think there's a if someone wants to invent that i would i would help fund it <laughs> i know that uh there is a push in certain areas of the world to make lawnmowers all electric because they're completely quiet it's really amazing 
but that's a big expense for a lot of the companies here that do that. I don't know if you can hear everything that's going on right now, but I, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today, Dina, and sharing your experiences. I know that I didn't exactly say to you, hey, this is definitely what I wanted to talk about, but you have so much to share with my listeners, and I'm so grateful always for you in my life and for you here today. Thank you, The Feelings Mutual, and I love your program. And uh, for those of you who are just getting uh, familiar with Laura, please listen to some of her other podcasts. She's incredible. She asks all the right questions, which is what extracts the great value out of people and makes these podcasts so so interesting. So when you're on a walk, when you are um, you know, before bed, or when you just have a little bit of extra time and want to hear something new and, and learn something at the same time, these are great podcasts. Congratulations on such a great show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just found out the other day it is now in the top 3% globally of all podcasts. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you again for being here. And um, I'm always grateful. Yep. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me over the insanity that is going on next door. Um, but that's what happens with live. Sometimes you can't do anything about it. I, I hope you got a lot out of what Dina was talking about today. It doesn't matter whether you're in the tech channel or not. Getting clear about who your customers are and what their needs are can make all the difference to the success of your products, as well as asking the right questions. Because remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.